0: What's going on? This is the Saturday on South Podcast. I am Conor O'Guera. Will great show lined up? Awesome, awesome interview with former Tennessee offensive coordinator and new USF coach Alex Golesh. That's going to be fantastic. I think a lot of people will really enjoy hearing from uh, from somebody that obviously had a big part in the SEC storyline in 2022. Uh, we're talking self care and figuring out, but we're going to start in hell today. We're starting
1: in hell just like every day for me just starts in hell and gets a little bit better
0: well that's a glass
1: half empty attitude if i've ever heard <laughs> one <laughs> no i'm just kidding that's just a funny way that we're starting
0: in hell today man let's do it i don't get to say that very often so i wasn't gonna whiff on that opportunity today we are talking the six teams that are in college football hell i was originally thinking oh, i'll do this the nine circles of college football hell liken it to dante's inferno we'll do that a little bit today but it's yeah, there's a lot of crossover it's too difficult to kind of break it down by by a specific sin punishment whatever you want to call it um so we won't necessarily do an exact comp but you get what i'm saying i would define and maybe you'll disagree with this i would define college football hell as being trapped in a nightmare cycle wherein there's not an easy solution to get out
1: is that right. fair 100 percent. yeah and it's it, well let me ask you a question hell is something you can't control that so you're trapped here and is it like a resources thing or is it like a
0: decision thing it could be anything it can okay. be anything and getting you might have thought in the past that there was an easy solution but maybe that just led to more frustration or instead of thinking you're about to get off the hamster wheel you actually just started sweating and ramping up the speed even more like that that in my opinion, is hell. It's not oh you're going through a rough like two or three year stretch and everything else has been unbelievable. Like no 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 no. This is prolonged. There are signs that this can continue long term and you might have serious issues moving forward getting out of your current state of angst. And there are different ways to describe that. So this isn't just as simple as saying, oh yeah, worst power 5 programs in the country, Kansas, Indiana. Well, let's let's line them up like it's there's there's more nuance to that. Like, I think if I were doing this two years ago, I would have absolutely had Tennessee and Colorado in college football. Hell, no doubt about it. Mm. Tennessee basically had a clean house shoot the moon with the NCAA violations, of which there were 18 level one violations. They had to pray that they hired the right guy, pray that they took a chance on the right guy at quarterback, and then hope that it all worked out. And so far, check, 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 like everything worked out. And that is rare, but that was not necessarily an easy solution to get out of college football. Hell, Colorado made the splashiest hire in school history, By getting Deion Sanders to take over and basically they said whatever the risk is in terms of who he is as a head coach and his shortcomings there, he will make up for it by what he's doing to hire the right coaches and by getting enough talent through those doors to get us out of college football hell. So I didn't want to put Colorado in that spot because it doesn't describe their current vibe and I don't even think vandy is in college football hell as weird as that sounds like that some are going to think okay that's that's where you start right like program like (laughs) vandy you can't get out of that they're just sucking that you know doing their first major renovation since the early 80s to that stadium like vandy is come on that is hell i think vandy's more purgatory i do i think vandy is there's a certain level of acceptance right it is it, it does not aspire to win championships That's not the goal. They make no bones about that. Despite what Clark Lee might have gotten up on that podium and said at SEC Media Days, they are aspiring to maintain amateurism and win as much as possible within those confines. That is truly who Vandy wants to be, not so much... This is all about you know championship mindset day one you know we we didn't think that the previous coach you know got us on that championship level they don't talk like that and that's probably why when Clark Lee said that everybody and their mothers like wait a minute it, 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 you said what wait,
1: no. you're gonna get a a letter sent to your office now it's just gonna be from the Vander, Vandy football office it's just like you you think we're not here to win championships
0: Clark 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 this is uh, let's let's dial it back. Let's, that's how we're going for right now. And I mean, besides, Vandy just had a five-win season wherein they had a bowler-bust regular season finale. So a little bit different. And I'm not saying Vandy is like out of the woods because I know these things aren't necessarily linear. But there's nothing torturous about the experience of Vandy football because of what we kind of know going into it and what basically the entire 21st century outside of a nice little stretch run there by James Franklin has told us. Before I start, Will, does all of this kind of make sense? Um, Two things. First off, as you said that,
1: do you think uh, Colorado hiring Deion Sanders is the splashiest hire in college football history?
0: Mm. Bama hiring Saban is pretty notable. Um, Man, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't think it could be considered the splashiest ever because – you need a splashy program as well.
1: But see, that's what I think makes it splashy.
0: I think Bama hiring Saban made sense.
1: I think it was like, well, this guy clearly does not like the NFL. He's coming back to college. This is logical. I think the Colorado thing is like, this could go any which way. This could be the best hire in the history of college football, or one of the worst. They could end up in sanctions. I think the splash factor is it's there's lots of variability in there.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. There's a good point. There's something to be said for that. I think Lane being hired by USC after one year at Tennessee is Ooh, massively that's a good splashy. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's kind of what I think of. Um, just because it's it's really difficult to actually have a true splashy head coaching hire. I think in college football because so much of this is you become splashy while you're there. And then those right. guys don't leave. Those guys get statues. That's the way that this usually works. Or, you know, you retire, you, you spend long enough time in a specific place and you just kind of retire and you fade off into the sunset. Ohio State hiring Urban. That's I'd good say. One. That's that's up there. Um, Michigan hiring Harbaugh. Massively oh, splashy hire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Franklin Franklin being hired by Penn State, that was a huge splash. At the
1: time, yeah, we always try to talk about that because the modern version of him is not the time. But yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. And then second question, I full disclosure, this is one of the topics where I was just like, hey, I'm going to walk into this one blind just for the sake of content. So I'm right here along with you guys. I want to just make sure, do you think, splat, like you're like not splashy, do you think that the hell thing, it has to be correlated to fan. Expectations and that people care, right? Like, it yes. can't be, oh, FAU is in the dumpster right now, but their fans are kind of apathetic. It's like, no, no. These fans expect a certain level of something, and they're continuing to not get it.
0: I think there has to be a certain level of tradition to it. And by the way, I right. just totally omitted uh, Lincoln Riley, USC, Brian Kelly. USC, oh, Lincoln Wildest Riley. Those year. are two good ones, too, because those are from big programs. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Um, I, I think there has to be a certain level of tradition. And that is at least at some point there was a winning tradition during the lifetime of an average fan. That's that's a very basic minimum to be able to hit. And there's one program that I'm going to get to later that kind of teeters on that. And you might push back on that and I totally get it and that's fine. Um, But I think there has to be some sort of implied give a crap with, right. with a specific program because otherwise you're not tortured. Hell is is torture, watching frustration, watching failure over and over again, and thinking you have the remedy or thinking that you did this this good deed to be able to get out of hell. And actually, no, 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 you're still there. And this is actually just getting worse. The heat is getting cranked up. So that's probably not the best way to answer that question. But I think there is a certain threshold of we care. Versus relevance and those are two different things those could be two different things all right so let's start with one that i'm sure many thought of and if you were coming up with your own list at home this team made the cut miami two decades that is the last time miami had a top 10 finish in the ap poll which That coincides with Miami leaving the Big East to join the ACC. That is not the last time we will bring up that subject today. Not a coincidence that that's the way that it has played out. From 2004 to 2022, Miami had at least three conference losses all but three times. And one of those years was 2020 COVID season. To be in hell implied that there was once a possibility of getting to heaven or, in Miami's case, being in heaven. Late 90s, early 2000s, and the 10-year stretch from 83 to 92, you could argue there was nothing cooler than Miami football. Maybe like, all right, I get early 90s, Fab Five takes over, pop culture might say that Fab Five is cooler, but you get what I'm saying. It's at least in that conversation. Being in hell as a Miami fan is selling yourself on every coach being the second coming of Jimmy Johnson, even though you know that they're not. You know, deep down in places you don't want to talk about you know that it's not Jimmy Johnson walking through those doors. And there's even a certain part of the Miami story that your four best coaches, Snellenberger, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, Butch Davis, they all left for one reason or another. Which is weird, and I get it, the Dennis Erickson thing with the violations and all that, but you get what I'm saying. You had to watch your historic stadium get bulldozed. You had to watch several different instances of people saying shut down the program, and you had to deal with what I think is maybe the most embarrassing scandal of the 21st century, the Nevin Shapiro thing, because of just the way in which he rose to power. And you see, you know, if you've watched the U part two, and you, you see how embarrassing it was to be accepting checks from somebody who came out to be this massive fraud, who swindled so many people and somebody that rose to prominence within Miami circles. And he was considered this key to Miami getting back really embarrassing, terrible. And now here Miami is locked in that grant of rights deal with the ACC through 2036 that is tough today's recruits have zero recollection of that program being cool and they might talk about nostalgia and we had these little these little blips on the radar in 2017 and you see that notre dame game and everybody's freaking out mark rick wow he's got miami back college game days in the house desmond howard is giggling and everything is all well and good in miami but that's that's all we have that's really all we have so there's all this optimism right now about mario cristobal getting the U back. And then you see the year that they had and you're reminded of how far they still have to go. And just because you finally start spending right and committing the money that you should have been committing decades ago, you're still in this spot that is so Dangerous. Winning championships two decades ago doesn't mean you still have a championship ceiling, yet nationally, that is the standard that your program is held to, which is unfair, but that's reality. Will, you texted me about the forgotten day of death for Miami football. Explain the 2005 Peach Bowl and how that played a part in the death of Miami as we know it.
1: Oh, man. So shout out to uh, Bomani Jones. I was listening to his podcast and they were joking about like there being a fight after this Peach Bowl with LSU in Miami. So I like did a little bit of digging because I thought that this this team, I thought it was like three different teams. I'm going to be honest with you. But the 2005 LSU Tigers got they lost Nick Saban. Um, They then got hit by Hurricane Katrina. They played one game which got relocated to Tempe, Arizona. They came back, got hit by Hurricane Rita uh, and then had to play like 10th ranked Tennessee lost to that team, obviously. And then just didn't lose again until the SEC championship game. So they go into the SEC championship game and there's just iconic or sorry, um, they lose the SEC championship game. They go to the Peach Bowl. and There's this iconic photo that I sent to you, Connor, that just says Katrina, check, Rita, check Miami. And it's like no hurricane can stop LSU. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, that is the bar of a century. And they, of course, beat Miami 40 to three. And uh, Jamarcus Russell didn't even play in that game. Matt Flynn made his first career start as a redshirt sophomore just Mollywop, this Miami team that was coming off of this dynasty, um, and they never really recovered. And after the game, Miami, of course, was like, well, you guys won on the field, but we're, we're going to take it to the streets. So they followed them into the locker room and got their butts whooped again, Connor. And that was the end. They got, they got run up on by that Bobby Boucher-like rage of those boys, Jacob Hester and those boys that were angry about their season and what had happened to them. Their coach left them. They had all this stuff going on. I would love to talk to him about that those teams because it would be crazy. But the fact that they did that, and then, yeah, that next season... Miami was seven and six. Uh, then Coker was fired, and it's kind of all been downhill since then.
0: It was like Miami was a little bit woozy, a little bit woozy, and you're kind of fading off, and, and you're in the you know the eighth, ninth round of a fight, and then mm-hmm. boom, LSU hits him with a haymaker. They drop to the ground. They count it out to eight, and then for whatever reason, they get back up, and that's the locker room interaction. And then LSU is like you're getting back up. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Stay down. One no. more lights out. And it's been lights out for essentially two decades. And that is a, just a, a really frustrating place to be for a, a program that we have held to a different standard. And they've been held to a different standard in those moments. And sometimes you can be a victim of your own success.
1: hundred percent. And like, I'll, I'll say really quick um on this too. First off
0: the Shapiro thing, as
1: embarrassing it is, I feel like 7th Floor Crew is even more embarrassing. They have had some wildly embarrassing scandals at Miami. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, yeah, like here's a really interesting one. There was a, a recruit skill position guy. I forgot his name, but he had this quote when he committed that was like, oh, yeah, I remember growing up watching Miami highlights with my dad. And it occurred to me that an 18-year-old kid in 2022 was born in 2004. And an 18-year-old kid in 2022 – that physically cannot remember if he was born able to remember every moment of his life, could not remember a great Miami team. And so it's just crazy to me because like when people talk about getting the U back, the players currently on that roster do not remember Miami being great. I honestly barely remember it because I was like six or seven and I'm nearly 30 whenever they were like dominant, dominant. And so, yeah, it's crazy to think that like all of that lore fans remember it, of course, but current players like, you can't really even sell me that they're they're
0: nostalgic about Young Miami, and that's a that's a a a place that you fear and you see that 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 timeline. You start doing the math, and you're like, oh man, we're so we're f- further and further removed from that. And there are a, a couple of programs that know exactly what that's like, including the next one that I want to bring up, Nebraska, of course very similar to Miami in many regards. I don't want to repeat myself too much here, but as we've talked about before, those 80-year-old former Nebraska players sitting in the press box who pound the table and discuss every time the Blackshirts let up a six-yard run, they are living in college football hell. Oh, Oh, yes. Matt Matt Rule, Matt Rule, he's coming in. Why is Nebraska in college football hell, but Colorado isn't? They both had splashy hires, right? Colorado shared a national title. We remember that. Probably not, actually. I don't even remember that. I've seen the 30 for 30, but still, uh, it doesn't have anywhere near the peak of what the Tom Osborne era was. Three national championships, 25-year stretch, where they finished outside of the top 15 once, all right? I mean, that is a really ridiculous run. It's one of the best runs ever. Some would say it is the best run ever. Alabama has obviously since trumped that. Also, Nebraska is not acquiring the, the five-star talent that Colorado currently is. Here is your mind grenade stat of the day. Colorado goes out, gets Travis Hunter, Kromani McLean, right? A couple of former five-star recruits. In the recruiting rankings era, Nebraska signed a total of just two five-star recruits. Marlon Lucky in 2005 and Chris Septic in 2000 wow they, yeah not even sue huh that is rough Sue was a four-star he wow. was he was a four-star in the composite yeah it's crazy as that is yeah so you're talking about going almost two decades without bringing in a single five-star recruit though i am old enough to remember when for a very brief minute i was like wait is michael parsons about to commit to nebraska is that gonna happen but no, that didn't of course happen nebraska sells itself on hope and it's it's unique in a place with no pro sports, one division, one football team. This is a unique dynamic in that state. And it's not the only one that's in that 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 is in a predicament like that. But it does feel just Different. Hell is being at a bar in Lincoln on a Friday night in the dead of winter and watching people be totally locked into the projection screen showing the sixty-two to twenty-four Fiesta Bowl beat down to Florida, roughly twenty years earlier. That is hell that you are living in right there. And I don't even know if they. I think they had the sound turned up a little bit, but watching that game on mute would probably be even worse because you can't even take yourself back to what you felt in that moment. Or maybe you're there with like a young kid who doesn't even remember that. In which case, I'm like, why are you at a bar with a young kid on a Friday night? Go home and just watch that on Big Ten's greatest games or something like that. Um, they do stuff like that. That's the worst. I hate that was that. like a big eight team at that point, right? That wasn't even a big <sighs> 12 team. Yeah, that's uh, that, that drives me nuts. And for everyone who says they sinned by getting rid of Bo Pelini and that's why they're in hell, I actually think that lacks a little context. I do. Sean Eichhorst and Bo Pelini would have thrown hands in a heartbeat if they knew that nobody would find out about it. They would have had a bare knuckle brawl if they could have just been able to sweep it under the rug and it's like, Hey, they just show up to their press conferences, both with black guys. Like I I really think that they could have done something like that. That's how much they hated each other at the end of it. Polini would get on the national stage and just get destroyed by any team with national championship hopes. That's the problem. Since 2002, Nebraska is 0 and 12 against AP top five teams. They lost by at least three scores in eight of those games, but go back to 2017. You're getting out of hell. I course is fired. You've got a new AD and Scott Frost, the prodigal son, is coming home. Huskers back. Last five seasons 23 37. Zero, zero count them wins against an AP top 25 team since 2016. Lost 21 straight against AP top 25 foes since they beat number 22 Oregon who went on to have a four-win season. Can I repeat that? They <laughs> lost 21 straight games against AP top 25 foes since they beat number 22 number 2022 Oregon back in 2016. Hell Jeez. is selling yourself on the belief that your prodigal son is the only one who can save the program only to watch him become the worst program the worst coach that the program has ever had, that's Scott Frost. That's what he became. And now there might be some hope. All right, Matt Rule, he can do a much better job than Scott Frost. That's not saying much. And you should always be, at least for every Nebraska fan moving forward, if the Scott Frost era taught you anything, it's that nothing is guaranteed in the sport. Absolutely nothing. Yep. Being in hell as a team without a that, that has this, this sellout streak that dates back to the John F. Kennedy era, that that is at the top of the nebraska resume right now that is the only thing that they can truly say hey you know what this is what we are and there's pride in taking that i'm not saying that there's not but when that's your biggest selling point is loyalty that is really tough and i think nebraska fans even right now even though they wouldn't want to admit it they would probably just strive to have what iowa has that's all that they can really hope for
1: Yeah. See, that's a really good point. That's why I'm always like a little bit like kind of to see both sides of the fairance thing, because it's like, yeah, if you gave Nebraska fairance and said 10 years of stability of what Iowa's had, not obviously going forward, what they've had, they would be like so fired up. Um, but yeah this is the rule thing is super interesting because i've said probably one of our most interesting off-air conversations was about nebraska and if they could ever come back and i was talking to one of my buddies about it i texted you about it and i was like hey like could one coach like come in and kind of save them and the amount of like data that you hit me with about like well a lot of the run was because they kind of like invented strength and conditioning and everybody's yep. caught up and like like just fact after fact after fact after fact about like why nebraska was in the situation so i think matt rule is about you know i'm ready to look stupid about it if they can't if that that's not it, it's not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? If that's exactly the coach, kind of coach that I was thinking of that might be able to come in and save them. This is the last guy. This is the last stop of the train because he was successful at Baylor. Obviously not a great NFL coach or anything, but probably just a college coach. If that coach can't turn around, you're not getting Urban Meyer. There's no other fixer out there. You're you're cooked. So I I think yeah that, and and their their success that's the thing it's like their success with Fellini, you know you had a couple of nine ten win seasons they almost beat Texas the year that Texas went to the title with Sue and the like last second field goal yeah extra controversy. second put back
0: on the clock yeah right
1: yeah. like there I I remember that like I as a you know as a nearly thirty year old I remember that so it's like easier for me to conceptualize that even than Miami because I don't even ever remember them actually being good but. They're not even in that conference anymore. And Texas isn't even in that conference anymore. They're in the Big Ten, and since they got there, they've been bad outside of, like, 2016, which was bad. They, I remember they played Tennessee in a bowl game and just got crushed. And that was, like, their only, like, okay season. So, yeah, if rule can't save it, I'm ready to say I was incredibly wrong about that take.
0: Yeah, and, and look, that, and that's how many approach Scott Frost. And that is kind oh, of yeah. the problem and why some – many were so willing to defend him because they're like, oh my God, if this doesn't work and fans won't admit this, fans won't admit this, but they, they will spin anything because they, they are of the belief that if, oh man, if this falls apart, then we're really in it. And being able to go out and get Matt rule, trust me, like, That's as good as Nebraska could have possibly hoped for in this cycle. That's great. And if he goes on to have success, that'd be awesome. And I'm not of the belief that, oh, if this coach can't win, then nobody can. I'm not necessarily a believer in in that like that was a fair expectation to put on Frost because so much of this depends on the decisions that you make from a personnel standpoint after you get the job. And it's not as much, oh, you're the prodigal son or you're not. It's all right. Well, then there's got to be somebody out there who can at least get them some sort of relevance. And if that's Matt Rule, then that's Matt Rule. But it's not necessarily one specific type of coach. Obviously, it helps that he has the background that he does.
1: I just want to say really quick, I, I, again, have not seen the rest of us. But so far, there is one common thread, which is that our prodigal son will save us. We see it with Mario in Miami. We've seen it with Scott Frost here. And, you know, and, and Michigan tried that with Brady Hope didn't work. Jim Harbaugh, I think he's done well. I think we could say the Harbaugh thing worked. But outside of like Harbaugh and like two seasons of Coach O, that strategy almost never works. And I'm the more I see it, the more it starts to reek of desperation.
0: I don't have Michigan on this list, by the way.
1: No, 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 and, no, I know. But I'm right, saying which, like that strategy just seems like it, it seems like a great PR move, but every one of these programs tries it and it almost never works.
0: Fair. Exactly. Very much, very much the case program that hasn't had to deal with that in a very long time. I have Iowa in college football. Hell, I know we just talked about the <laughs> success. Nebraska would love to be in that place, a higher ranking of hell. Um, I got more Iowa fans in my mentions than ever on Sunday by tweeting out that um, I thought the least likable football basketball coach combination in America is Kirk Ferentz and Fran McCaffrey. Um, Iowa fans, not happy, not happy. I muted that conversation. I think within 15 minutes, it was a very quick mute. And then anything kind of like it, um, which Look, it just wasn't worth my time to want to interact with that. I didn't really want to explain to everyone involved that despite my bio saying I live in Orlando and I write for an SEC-focused website, um, and I actually you know, get to write national columns. That's kind of the part of the gig. Uh, two of my best friends were Iowa grads. Uh, I was born and raised in Big Ten country. I I also know abuse of power when I see it, and Kirk Ferentz is abuse of power 101. If you don't believe that, Google either one of these two names, Brian Ference or Chris Doyle. Take your pick. Oh, yes. Both massive abuses of power. One ran a horrendous offense and got a raise because it pays to be the son of the head coach and the longest tenured head coach in FBS. And the other practiced racist behavior as a strength coach. But Ferentz claimed that he didn't know about any of that. So he got off, you know, just fine. He also didn't have the awareness to recognize that reporters are allowed to ask about your son when he's leading the nation's 128th ranked offense. And you probably shouldn't respond to a reporter by saying, well, I'm glad I don't have to be a reporter for a living and my life is so great. Park Ferentz, that's him. That's what he's become. I hate what he's become. It sucks because he was one of those guys that i banged bang the drum for in like the 2015-2016 range. And I think what he has become as a 67-year-old head coach isn't because of his age. It's because he's been given so much power. And that's frustrating. He can do no wrong. Gary Barter the AD, loves him. He's done a lot of great things for Iowa. And I won't take away what he's done for that program from a stability standpoint. He's raised money for cancer research. Kirk Ferentz has done good things. He's done very good things. But being in hell is having the state's highest paid public employee decide that his son is worthy of running whatever they call offense at Iowa. It is an offense. Don't even look at the buyout for Kirk Ferentz because he's not getting fired. He's just not. Buyout's 42 million bucks. I had to look at it. Sometimes being in hell isn't so much wins and losses. It's realizing that nothing is really going to change until the person in charge is no longer there. That's how I feel as a Bears fan with the McCaskey family. It is hell being a Bears fan. It really is. You can throw out all these stats about all-time wins, with the bears and is that supposed to make me feel good uh, or am i just supposed to ignore the fact that in my lifetime i've seen one super bowl appearance and it was a blowout loss for one of the biggest market teams in the NFL no like that's not supposed to make me feel good iowa isn't in a terrible place from an on-field standpoint and you could point to the fact that if they finish in the top 25 this year it'll be the fifth consecutive year to finish in the top 25 longest such streak that they've ever had is 5 years but Iowa has an obvious ceiling because the only time that they ever finished, well, in the last decade, the only time in the last decade that they finished in the top 10, everyone called them a fraud the whole time and it ended with the Christian McCaffrey led beatdown where they clearly did not belong on that field in the Rose Bowl. And they're going to continue to have a ceiling as long as Brian Ferentz is the OC. They amended the contract for Brian Ference. Have you seen this? It's bad. It's real oh, bad. Oh yes, I sent this to you. If he simply has a an offense that averages 25 points per game in the year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> and, oh, don't forget this other caveat. I was got to get to seven wins. They can get there via a bowl game. They can get to the pinstripe bowl at six and six and then get win number seven, and he's good. If that happens, he gets a two-year extension with a bump in base pay and a bonus. 25 points per game. That would have been good for 85th in the country this past year. It is the equivalent of a rich dad saying to his son, "If you get a C minus on your geometry on your geometry test, I'll buy you a Bentley." That's hell.
1: This is like, uh, oh, what's the um the Adam Sandler movie where he has to go back to school. It's like, that's like Billy Brian, Madison. Billy course, Madison, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I kept wanting to say Tommy Boy for some reason, which is like similar but different. But point being like, this is exactly where he's at. And like, to be yep. clear, let's call us spade a spade here. We were making fun of Mike Bobo and you were saying, okay, if Mike Bobo scores over 40 points a game, you'll give him credit. 25 points? That's 25. It. This is not 2004. This is not 2004. 20- yeah, that's insane. And like, I, I will have to be devil's advocate about Iowa here, which is that the expectations, right, I don't think they expect to make a college football playoff. I think that beating Ohio yep. State or Michigan once every two or three years, being tied in you, you know, with, with Kittle and those boys, I think they're kind of at their expectation. That's why they're defending this guy instead of dumping on them, because if they were below their expectation I, and like, and, you know, that goodwill wears off. You know, in a year or two, I think that if they were genuinely below their goals on a consistent basis, I mean, truly, as and it's impossible, I understand this, but they are truly like an OC away from being where they need to be. Whereas, like I said, I feel like that's a little bit different from Nebraska, because there's like an overhaul of the booster infrastructure, they got to change everything. I think that th- that Ference is a guy that again, not just not defending his character, I think the way he runs that place like a compound is ridiculous. But I think that based on what their expectations are, I don't think it's fair to say that they're underperforming those. And if they lose him, they will almost universally backslide because to win at a place like that, you have to kind of get it. And there are fewer and fewer guys who want to take the time to get it at a place like Iowa.
0: But if that is your acceptance, if that's what you're accepting, then half the time you watch your team, you're just banging your head against the wall. And you know that's the case. And that's the big sucks. 10. What do you
1: think the most of them are doing? <laughs> All
0: right. Fair. Perfectly fair. Okay. Maybe Iowa was a little bit, maybe, maybe I got a little bit personal. I got a little bit in my feelings after that comment on Sunday night. But nonetheless, there is, Hell is watching Brian Ferentz run an offense. Oh, I yes. will stand by that. I will definitely oh, yes. stand by that. And listening to Kirk Ferentz have eighty-minute press conferences wherein he defends the decision to keep his son, despite the fact that he had one of the worst offenses in all of college football. And this is like year nine that he's there or something, and it's still this bad. So yeah, so all of your points are valid. I
1: mean, him—he's basically just has a free world-class gym membership that comes with a million-dollar salary. Like I—I I agree. Talking about Brian's. Brian (laughs) Ferris. Brian. Anyway, uh, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just saying that they consistently get to win in six, you know, seven games. Then that's a conversation of, you know, what do we do? Do we do the Patterson and kind of push him out the door like Robert Dunder or whatever? Like, but I think that at this point, it's not quite there yet. But like, to your point, it's whenever he's first off, Character concerns, hundred percent on the money, and I think that's I'm, that's not even a question to me. But you know, or not, but 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 I think that the, what you are doing is forecasting, which could be accurate because if you get little things wrong, it's hard to get big things wrong in this sport, especially when you play teams that do. When you play at Ohio State, when you play at Michigan, those wins are going to be harder to come by because those coaches are not worried about what their kids are doing; they're worried about football.
0: You know. Forecasting is definitely part of this. There, there is mm-hmm. a certain level of, of projection with that and how this thing can continue to stay stuck in the mud for years to come. Mm-hmm. Another Big Ten team. Michigan State. Oh, yeah. And there, there, there are people listening to this who believe in Mel Tucker. And I'm not necessarily out on Mel Tucker. I don't I don't want to say that I'm out on him. That's, that's unfair. The 2022 setback, look – Maybe some, Maybe it's just going to be a little bump in the road. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with the fact that 2021 took off because Kenneth Walker was way better than any outside of anybody outside of East Lansing realized. Right. But Michigan State's in hell for a couple of reasons. You could make the case that their best real chance to get on Michigan's level as a brand, just to, in terms of a brand, in terms of popularity, move the needle. Hey, we're going to have X amount of fans at our game at our games. We're going to really take that next step as a program and sustain this for a long period of time. That probably came and went when Mark D'Antonio took too many gambles on talented kids with character issues. And the program was wildly different in the latter half of the 2010s, as opposed to the front half of it for a while. I think Michigan state was in heaven. I really do. Mike Hart makes the infamous little brother comment directed at Michigan state. And then boom Spartans rip off top 10 Finishes where, oh, no, it wasn't top 10 finishes from 2008 to 2017. They finished in the top 15 six times and they beat Michigan eight of the next 10 years. That is as much as you can ask for as a Michigan State fan. You go to the playoff. You have that little 2013 to 2015 run where you elevate it even more. Pretty reminiscent of like maybe even a little bit better than South Carolina. Having that three year run with Spurrier at the start of the 2010s. That's kind of like, all right, you peaked Michigan state. Wasn't even a top 20 team in the talent composite rankings in 2015, which I thought showed when Alabama totally dismantled them in the semifinal game that year, it was really bad. So D'Antonio says, all right, we're going to elevate the talent level and it doesn't really work out. He took too many chances He totally lost control of the program. He ran out of gas. He did not have that recruiting gear to stack the classes that Michigan State needed to sustain that momentum. So then Mel Tucker is kind of a desperate hire after signing day, might I remind you. People forget about that. And that was all because D'Antonio tapped out. He said no moss. Year two happens with Tucker. Kenneth Walker, again, you got to pay him. You've got your guy, you're feeling good, 10 years, $95 million, the Jimbo deal, and then the five and seven Jimbo. Just like that, Michigan State has a coach who's 23 and 21 all time, who is owed another $86 million. That is insane. And it's all because they didn't want him to leave for LSU. That's why they paid him that contract. And so now you're in a really tough spot and you don't know what the future holds, but you know that your coach has a contract that's notebook worthy and he's coming off a year in which your floor was way lower than you thought. And you're not getting out of that deal anytime soon. And you are hoping and praying that Mel Tucker was more than just Kenneth Walker exploding in 2021. That's not a great spot to be. It's really not. And especially when you see the conference expanding and adding USC and UCLA, it's not getting any easier to win the Big Ten, or at least that's what we're going to sell ourselves on. A
1: couple of things about Michigan State. So I do think they're in the later stages of the death cycle that you talked about with Iowa, where they had a coach who fit the program, but then got a little bit too much like a God, started trusting himself too much, fell off a cliff. And then now they're kind of scrambling to get back to that while at the same time making their own identity. I just want to say, and see, this is the the unique stuff i bring to the table, which feels completely irrelevant. But have you heard about the beef between um, Matt Ishva, Ishbia and Dan Gilbert over Michigan State, the son's new owner, and Dan Gilbert, obviously the
0: Cavs owner? I have not, but I know that they're obviously at the – the, they're at the the grassroots of this NIL spending.
1: Yes. So basically, Dan Gilbert obviously has you know um, his big mortgage company, and they've kind of turned into like Rocket uh, Mortgage, which is like uh, basically they have all these companies that Dan Gilbert. Is. He's, he's like one of the richest owners in the NBA, and this other guy uh, Ishbia who just bought bought the Suns also has a mortgage lending company, and just hates Dan Gilbert. And they're both Michigan State alums. And so they're addicted to competition, and they just keep one-upping each other. Hence, like, factored into the Mel Tucker deal, because one's like, oh, you're broke. And the other one's no, like, no, nah, 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 you're broke. And they just keep giving de- d- uh, donations. And so here's a quote from Ishbia. Uh, this is about, like, their business beef, because they're in the same ar- arena. they These two businesses actively hate each other. Ah, uh, Rocket talking about Rocket Mortgage. Rocket's gonna cry like they cry about everything. But we beat them after they were like number one mortgage lender. Brokers are better. Ishbia told the Detroit News. We're the largest mortgage company in America. It's not negotiable. It's not discussed. It's not an opinion. It's factual. So these are the two famous, most famous alums of Michigan State, wealthiest alums. I don't know about most famous, you know, Magic Johnson and such. But but these are the two wealthiest alums. Hence, why you know they're kind of in this weird position where it's like. Why do they pay miles? It's like, oh, they don't care. This is a uh, Michigan State is now a middleman that's just receiving. It's like the divorced kid that's like, yep. no, we have yep. the best Christmas at our house. No, we have the best Christmas at our house. And so that's the weird situation they're in. Whereas like they're these two guys are addicted to spending, but they don't have anything to spend it on because nobody really wants to go to Michigan State. So it's like they can't even really pay recruits to go there. So they're just paying coaches and upgrading visit but like not really. And it's like such a weird situation because there are so many of these teams that you're just like, well, if they just had a good donor, they might be fine. Like I've said about. Washington. It's like, well, if one guy who lives in Washington could just go in there and drop some NIL money, they'd be fine. It's like, no, Michigan State has that. They're in the best situation they could possibly be in, and they ended up with
0: this. (laughs) It's not as simple. It's never as simple as that. There's a reason why college football is not strictly about dollars and cents. It is a huge factor. It's wildly important, but just pouring money on something doesn't make your problems go away. That leads me to my next program, certain Texas A&M Aggies. Oh, they are in college football hell. Do not make me pull out the notepad. All right, let's do it. Okay. Just remember this. For anybody that says AM isn't in college football hell, despite the fact that they have a coach who just went five and seven in year five. Um, after 2023, Jimbo Fisher is still owed $76.8 million. After 2024, don't worry, the buyout goes down all the way down to 67.5 five million dollars uh 2025 okay we're getting there uh it's still 58.2 million dollars but here's the good news after 2026 it's gonna be less than 50 million bucks hundred fifty thousand dollars so that's fine um look that's part of it it is and that's for a program that's just trying to play in a conference championship game for the first time this century okay that's a lot of money it's a lot of money to have committed to a head coach who, right now... When you say this century, Connor, do you mean the 2000s or over the course of the last century? We just mean the, we just mean the 21st century. mean to be clear, because old 20 records
1: 20. over there at a You never know.
0: Anyway. My bad. Shout out to the 1939 Aggies. They're doing well. It is hell to think about that kind of money being committed to a coach with anything other than at least a nine-win floor. A&M does not have a nine-win floor. That's not the case. Everybody makes the eight and four jokes. And there's an element of hell to that in itself. But it's torturous to think that no matter how much money you throw at a problem, it still can't be fixed. Like, How many people have experienced a problem in their life? Maybe it's something you need fixed at home. Maybe it's something medical. And you reach that point where you just say, all right, it costs what it costs. I'm spending money to fix this issue. That's like what A&M has been doing since it joined the SEC because so badly it wants to be in that group of heavy hitters in college football. And now Texas is coming on board. Sort of like when you're in your first semester of college and then like your boys from home visit you and you want them to think, like, wow, you're, you're awesome. You're, you're killing it right now. Or maybe, maybe, you know, you got your first job out of college. Your boys come in town or something like that. You're like, drinks on me. Let's have a good time. And you want them to think that you're doing really well. You take them to the coolest parties. You want to show them a good time for the simple fact that you want people that you care about to think highly of you. a fans can deny it all they want, but they care how Texas thinks of them. And why wouldn't they? They should. They were the ones who went off to LA to pursue their dreams while Texas stayed back in French Lick, Indiana. So that they can be a big fish in a small town. Bet you didn't think you were getting a French Lick Indiana reference on today's podcast. Shout out Larry Bird. AM's in hell. Hey,
1: for French Lick. I. This is my favorite. I'm just so southern that when you say stuff like that, it just makes me so happy.
0: AM is, is in hell right now because Texas is visiting this weekend and the Aggies are not with the cool kids in the SEC. They want to be, but they're not. They might drive the nice cars, they might have the nice clothes. They might be cool by association, but deep down, they're not the ones moving the needle like they hoped they would be when they join the SEC and even after they hire Jimbo Fisher. That is a hellish place to be. And hell can also be Oklahoma Thunder fans. Ears perk up. The six of you listening. Hell can also be seeing a potential championship window close. That is the danger AM is facing if all of that talent that Jimbo Fisher brought in with that historic 2022 class, if that all of a sudden can't make it work and can't get you to that place, and you don't sustain that level of talent, and if it dips at all, that window is it's slamming shut, and that's the reality that AM is staring at right now.
1: You don't think that hiring the best offensive coordinator
0: in the SEC, <laughs> Bobby <laughs> Petrito, will turn this around? Did I say he was the best offensive coordinator? You took him number one overall. I took him number one overall. I said if I were starting a team today, all things equal, he would be the guy I'd want scheming, developing quarterbacks for me. Yes, hundred percent. Does it mean that it can escape the Jimbo Fisher factor?
1: Uh, That's a good distinction. Um, yeah, and I'm. I'm not. I'm not dumping on you. Like I. Th- I think we both think he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. Like I had him kind of in the upper tier as well. I. Yeah. I think that. It. I mean it's another weird situation where you could argue this team is about a coordinator away. Maybe he is that guy, but it would have to, that's the thing. Like for Iowa, it's like, well, maybe something could like, if let's say Brian is showing the door, it's like, well, wouldn't be that weird if they ended up with some like cool young guy because it's like the opposite with Jimbo. There is no cool young guy. It's going to have to be some boomer. So Petrino is kind of the best case scenario. And so, yeah, I think this is about, I mean, this is the best you could really reasonably hope for with Jimbo Fisher Uh, is, you know, keeping the defense. <laughs> I can't believe this coaching staff. I'm just blown away by this coaching staff every day. They need to hire the dude. What was his name? Banks. They used to be in Alabama. They ended up at Texas as their special teams coach. They need to hire that guy. Just the, to mon- make the monkey guy, right? Yes, the guy who was like married to the ex stripper with the monkey. I I said that as if everyone knows who that is. Of course they don't. Just sickos like me. But they need to bring in that special teams coach dude to just have the strangest coaching staff ever assembled. But yeah, no, I I think that's. I mean, this is as good as they can do. So yeah, I can see them getting a nine or ten wins. Next year, but you know, you just you just never know. And as long as Jimbo is there and they're on the hook for it, and there's not some weird uh scam that oil people can do to get double their money and get him out of there. Yeah, I think they're kind of there. There is a caveat of it, you know, whenever uh your kid is entering college, Jimbo Fisher's deal ends, they maybe then they go after like Lincoln Riley or something, and then they turn it around. But it has to be past this administration, I think.
0: Yeah, but even if because ideally, if you spend that money, you're doing it so that you don't face embarrassment. That, like, whether people want to admit that or not, yes, it's about winning championships. It's also about trying to avoid embarrassment, it's trying to elevate your floor in any possible way. And AM to date has not been able to escape that. We take that for granted so much. And it's one of the things that makes Kirby and Sabin unbelievable and already on the short list of, well, I mean, Saban is number one, but it's what has put Kirby already on the short list of great 21st century coaches is how much he has elevated the floor of that program. And there's a reason why we don't look at the contract at any given point so far. Of course, that contract has been in the midst of two national championships. If they go seven and five, you know, as everybody is predicting Georgia to go this year, then we'll of course have a different question about that, but that's the problem. And when your floor is what it is right now, hmm, you're in hell.
1: And that's another thing about expectation is that if this was, uh, even 15 years ago, Texas A&M, that was kind of just this middling big 12 team where they like more cared about the traditions. And like, it was just kind of like a cool, like it was more about the, uh, the atmosphere than it was about actually winning. But once you make that commitment to try to be, you know, uh, 1970s nebraska or modern alabama or you know 80s miami and you say okay we're gonna be the class of college football that's when you become a disappointment when you stay at se- seven well i guess this year they even get there but most years you know seven to eight wins and it's like yeah i mean like i said if you had told AM fans uh, 15 years ago they'd be in the sec they have jimbo fisher they have all this stuff they'd be like woo but based on the
0: last 10 years it's like how are we this bad i don't get it Exactly. And that's that's what I think is is really tough to accept if you're an Aggie fan. I'm going to end with a place that I don't think a lot of people thought I'd go. Boston College. Oh, my. Yeah. god! Yeah. Let's get weird. More people need to talk about this. OK. Boston College sold its soul to the devil, basically from a basketball perspective. They did because football makes the money you go to the Big East to the ACC. But that has not panned out at all. You're in the northeast region of the country where in college football has never been less relevant. Our friend David Hale wrote a great piece on that last year about football in the northeast has essentially died. I mean, with the exception of Penn State, like it is a wasteland and the numbers really reflect that. And you're you're in a place where college football is very it's lacking relevance and much like Northwestern who at least has the right head coach, you're in a pro sports area that you're never going to gain the traction that you hope and think that you're capable of, despite what that market suggests. Like, oh, Boston, great market for NIL, right? They signed the number 53 class in America last year. Well, they signed one top 50 class in the playoff era. That's it. One. That's bad. What do you think of when you think of Boston College? If you're older, you think of Doug Flutie. If you're around our age, you think Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, yep. Matt Ryan was the, the quarterback of the last Boston College team that finished in the AP Top 25. That was back in 2007, mind you. It has been 14 years since they had more than seven wins in a season. In the last 13 seasons, they played a total of four games in which they were an AP Top 25 team. They went one in three of those games. All of them happened during the 2018 season, wherein even with A.J. Dillon, they had a seven and five season because that is BC's absolute peak. It's I would not say
1: he was nasty, but that team, yeah, it
0: fell off a cliff. I'm looking at this. He felt better than that, but they sure weren't. like They weren't. They They absolutely were not. They can get the nice player here and there. I mean, Luke Keekley great player. Oh man, A.J. Dillon. Mark,
1: Mark, Mark Herslick, stand up. Come on.
0: Yeah. They'll get a guy every once in a while. They will. But it's hell because you're so bad, and people don't even realize that you're so bad. It you don't move the needle and reap the benefits of some great TP contract like other past their prime pro past their prime teams like a Notre Dame or something like that. And that's the other thing. I think we're going to talk about the ACC a lot differently in the latter part of the 2020s, and that is why I think so many of these teams will be stuck in neutral. And Boston College is a perfect example of that. If they remain trapped in that contract, the grant of rights deal that locks them in through 2036, yikes. BC is a program that has settled into Vandy territory, and not a lot of people even realize it. And that, I think, is really tough because it is a program that, again, the tradition threshold ah, borders on there. They technically have a national championship more recently than A&M by one year. Let's not forget that 1940 we to compare to 1939. So, Hey, you know, we all remember it. Yeah. Class 1940 stand up. Yep. They're still here. Um, That's, that's probably, maybe it's a little bit of a stretch to include BC in there, but that's the six I settled on. BC and Iowa were the ones that you can kind of go back and forth on a little bit. I can see the arguments. If you wanted to include um, Mizzou, I think Mizzou is interesting to include because the Toby Keith wins might, might've, entered into my mindset to say that they're in college football hell and the fact that they just signed their best recruiting class in program history in 2022 which extreme outlier for them a little bit even a little bit different than a&m you know signing that historic class in 2022 where they've at least kind of been a little bit hovering in that area trending in that direction Um, but yeah no bull win since 2014 just kind of always feels like cosmic forces are working against Mizzou. I'm okay with Mizzou in this argument. If you want to do that, I think a lot of Mizzou fans feel like they're in hell.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're just kind of in the sec. I think that's, I mean, if you just took Mizzou's exact program and put them somewhere else, like they probably are a lot. I mean, you know, they had high for me, you know what I'm saying? Like they probably get to that, the nine, 10 wins. And especially cause they, that's the thing about Mizzou they got, they came out with such a bang and it was like, we can do this here. And then there's just buddy. No, you can't. Um. I just want to say really quick, I know we've touched on them a couple of times, but what is stopping Texas from being in here?
0: Hmm. It's a good question. It's a good question, and it's one that I debated. I think that Texas having the ability to jump off of the sinking ship that is the Big 12 and go to the SEC, I think that plays a part in it. I think Texas... Having Arch Manning has some feeling like they're not in hell. TBD on if Sark is the guy. We've talked about the buyout numbers, how that can impact him. I think there is still some sort of belief that Texas is turning the corner. But yeah, the Arch Manning stuff in the SEC entry probably prevented me from going there with them. But I wouldn't I have mean- a problem saying that they're in hell we talked about
1: what two, two nine win seasons since like their championship appearance in 09. That's because the bottom half of the big 12 sucks. You know what, you know what I'm saying? Right.
0: You're right. Let's put Texas hey, going in to the SEC. Let's We it. just talked
1: about it with Mizzou, yeah. how they were this dynasty in the Big Twelve, not dynasty, but they were winning ten games, like every. They were like number two at one point at the Big Twelve, and then they came to the SEC, and suddenly, the you know, you're playing Kentucky and South Carolina as like the quote unquote bad teams. You know, obviously, like Vandy is there, but even in the East, you're going to see Spencer Rattler. You're going to see Leary and Levis. Like you're going to see for the, for those little places. And like, I just. I don't think going to the SEC is going to make their lives easier. I think it's going to make it harder. And I think that some of these moments for Texas that we were sold, they're like sack of smoke. Like, oh, you can come back. And the thing that's crazy about them is we talked about uh, the, the the hopium hires. Think about how many good coaches. Uh, Miami is the king of this. And we talked about this on the last podcast. But they're probably the second because you think about Charlie Strong could pretty much coach everywhere, including USF, except for Texas. Tom Herman was like viewed as a brilliant offensive mind. He was horrible. Sarkeesian was out here scoring 10 points against DCU. <laughs> and there's like... It like so like point being like that I feel like there's not really a guy and and the thing that's interesting and and they're kind of in like a their best case I feel is almost like Auburn because they have such a weird booster situation at Texas you know what I'm saying but like they they kind of like, like that's something that's insurmountable. It's that like they have all this money like a but their boosters are so involved and right. they're so like putting their own interests kind of even talking about Michigan state. We're starting to see lots of, lots of things happening here where money does not buy happiness in college football. You got to have, it's better to have uh the buy-in and a good structure than it is to have money. Because if you just have money, you end up like a lot of these teams are talking about, but yeah, point being, I, I think, I think with Texas, it's like they would have to un, uh cut the, the, what's it called? The Gordian knot of their boosters. To get into that 11, you know, 12 win thing, because people have talked about retrospectively how great Mac Brown was at that and also how good Gus was at that at Auburn in terms of keeping the boosters happy. And I think that that's something that's so underrated in terms of being successful at Texas, that these guys would rather look a certain way, behave a certain way than actually win football games. And that puts such a hard cap when you're, when you're competing with Georgia and Alabama, who care about winning football games and
0: don't care about anything else. You're right. You talked me into it. Texas is in college football hell. You, mm-hmm. You're right. Dumb omission by my part. I paid too much attention to the SEC entry and Arch coming to Texas. You're right. You're exactly right. And for a lot of the similar reasons that we outlined here, there's not one specific thing. And thinking that you're off the hamster wheel, Texas is a perfect example of a program that is still very much on the hamster wheel. Whenever I tweet out the fact that they haven't had an offensive player drafted in the first round since Vince Young, people always say, Oh, well, Bijan's going to be that guy. Oh, yours is going to be that guy. And it's always, Oh, it's going to be this next guy. And in Mm -hmm. reality, it's still not, and you're right. They they should have been included. Absolutely, I bet there are people wondering why Auburn wasn't included. Marler says this. God's an Auburn fan. Oh yeah, luck is the reason. They have two or three games a year. So all right, <laughs> I I can't I can't put Auburn in hell if God's an Auburn fan. I right. Can't do it. Just can't do it. No no <laughs> other reason than that. They're would you that
1: right spot. now? Would you rather buy Auburn stock with freeze or Texas Star stock? Texas stock
0: with Sark? That's a good question. I'd probably go with with Texas. I'd go with Texas just because the spending is there. The spending is not everything. Money doesn't always buy happiness in college football. Auburn has upped that spending with what they're doing in NIL. They have hired somebody who i believe to be a smart football coach in terms of x's and o's if the new the way that the new um conference schedule format shakes out with them not having this this annual trip to georgia and alabama which looks like that's that's going to be the case as well cuz they negotiated that that out um then yeah i i would probably have more reservations about auburn moving forward than i would texas but I, I think it's at least a discussion. I do. Yeah, no, that's yeah. that's a good question, though. Yeah,
1: I think, like I said, I think Gus is just their Mac. I think that just it's pushed forward 10 years. And now it's like, again, freezes. Freezes is a guy who I think we both love as a head coach, but it's like, Okay, we love Charlie Strong, <laughs> we love Tom Irvin. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And to your point, I do think the scheduling thing is so massive with Auburn. It's super unfair. They got to play Georgia and Alabama every year, and hopefully that that'll fix. But I'm not. I'm not like out on Auburn. It's just really Gus was underappreciated for the amount that he was able to beat Alabama and the amount that he was able to win big games. But that's my only my only take. Any other thoughts on hell? <laughs> <laughs> just, just generally, it's you know, it's hot. Um yeah. yeah, I I think. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. There's not really a ton of programs that I think that are fully invested that I feel like are really stuck there. Um, I'm sure we're missing one or two, but really, it's like I think you know we talk about USC with Lincoln Riley. I think they're doing okay, even though they just lost the two lane. They just almost made a playoff. So like, yeah, I think I think they're I think we're we're in a good spot, especially with complimentary. Really quick, really quick note. You know, Boston College was a team that I actually was talking to my buddies about. Like, you know, maybe the Big Ten should look at them for that Boston market. Da da da. Uh-uh. I was Mm-mm. soundly defeated by the group of that one for exactly what you
0: just said. So yeah, I I, I think that's uh, Boston College is a really good bull. You could actually search Boston College relevance and get a ton of different articles on what what it, what would it take for Boston College to actually sniff any sort of relevance because boy, don't you know what they have tried um, to come up with solutions and for whatever reason they have just been right. Right in that mid, as mid as humanly possible. That is peak mid. That that is it's, it. Um wow, yeah, they're the mascots of uh, mid. That's a good point. I'm gonna be kicking myself over the Texas thing. Gosh, why did I include them in the first round? That was dumb, Connor. Really dumb. Because the hopium is
1: so strong, because it's like you've seen it with your eyes. That's exactly what I said about Nebraska, and I was right,
0: but we'll see. That's the thing.
1: We both have like tinges of hope for some of these teams. Not Miami. <laughs> Not funny.
0: Miami. But anyway, yeah, I think it's a good list. All right, before we kick it to Alex Golish, a quick word from our friends at Underdog Sports Betting. You know it, not legal in all these states in the SEC, you know – Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com/Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests. Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props and you can put real money on the line and like i said legal and live in all these states alabama georgia florida texas etc underdog is awesome super fun to do while you're watching football watching any other sport at home maybe you're watching some hoops you can win some real money go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars hundred dollars absolutely free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog all right, let's kick it to Alex. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is South Florida coach Alex Koalish. Alex, uh, you're extremely busy right now. I always love to start with this with uh with new head coaches. How many hours of sleep are you averaging right about now? Over under four and a half hours. Under.
2: Under <laughs> oh you know like what three? early on it was it was worse. Uh no, I try to get right at four. Um <laughs> and we had a meeting going into February with the coordinators, man, do you guys want to stay late every night or, or, and take some time off on the weekend, or do you want to get out of here at a decent time and work on the weekends? And it was, it was a resounding off on, on the weekend unless we got something going on. So we're, we're up here early. We're up here late, but, It's, you know, like if I found anything out as a head coach, the only time i get anything like really done is really early or really late. So I'm, I'm burning it on both ends right now, but, and then using the weekends to actually get ahead and planned and and all those things where there's nobody around.
0: What's the caffeine source right now for you, man? Well,
2: I've been a Red Bull guy for a long long time, actually (laughs) brought my fridge, my Red Bull fridge with me from, from Knoxville. And then these guys keep it stocked pretty good. Starbucks in the morning, and uh, and then an occasional afternoon run to Starbucks. you are just kind of keeping it consistent.
0: Okay, all right, I like that. I think that's all. It's all within the normal confines. We're not like sitting here chugging twelve Red Bulls in a given day. I think you're still healthy. Your doctor is not going to be too opposed to that. Although they probably say get a little bit more sleep when you can. Absolutely. That's why I, I don't go to the doctor. Otherwise. <laughs> uh, I,
2: get, I get somebody's real opinion. Well, I'll go to the doctor once we we get this program where it should be.
0: Love it, love it. Well, I want to hear the recruiting pitch from you because you know I, I know that was a big part of kind of your undertaking and what you're trying to do right now. The the stay in the bay hashtag. Uh, it's excellent because obviously there's so much talent in the Tampa area. I'm the perfect person for you to sell because. I've lived in Orlando for about seven and a half years. I, I live in Orlando currently, so why should I come to Tampa? Besides the fact that T Swift is going to be there in a couple months.
2: Yeah, well, T Swift's going to be here for three days, um, and so we actually scheduled our spring game around around T Swift, and um, which is a positive in in itself. You know, there's there there's really the same reason I took the job is the same reason that that I would want to come here uh, as a young guy. You know, I do think it all starts with people. Um, And at the end of the day, amongst all the craziness of of what college football is right now and will continue to be. I think young people, their families want to play for real people. Um, You know, that that's the number one thing you want to know who you're playing for. You want to know that you're going to get treated like a young man. And I think as a family, you want to know that their young man is going to leave here a better man ready to attack the world as a husband, as a father, as a real human being. Uh, When you when you peel back the layers of of everything else going on as a mom, a dad, an uncle, a grandma, grandpa. And I think at at their core, the young man wants to know that he's going to get taken care of. So the ability to hire a staff, um, the ability to get people to want to come here in every in every role you can imagine. Is is what people want. Now, the fact that it's it's February 21st and it's 84 degrees and there's not a cloud in the sky and and the water is 20 minutes away. And this is an incredible sports town. Man, like those are all bonuses to me. I think if you have to sell a beach and a location and a facility, I think you're probably on the wrong track in terms of what young people still care about. Um, So you, you have to sell the people so i would tell sell you coming over from orlando that you get to be around incredible people people that care about young people people that are pros at the in at their at their profession at, in their field uh you look at the coaches we've been able to hire um, um i mean there's guys that have left some incredible jobs to come here there's guys that have been at some incredible places coached some incredible young people and you got a culmination of a commitment from from an athletic department and an administration to say, you know what, here's the highest salary pool in the conference. Here's the facilities to go with it. Here's the, the funding for a stadium. Uh, Even though, um, even though um, Raymond is awesome, we want to have our own place we can call home and here's a brand new indoor And you put it all together and you've got an opportunity to say, you know what, this is this is an incredible experience from the people to the facilities to the education. You know, this is a top 50 public school in the entire country and growing fast. Um, You couldn't say that over there in Orlando with what's going on. So that's what we got. You got Disney World. We got all that other stuff.
0: Uh, And I love that, too, because if you're selling the message, stay in the bay, You're talking about people that have already been in Florida too. And people who've been in Florida understand, yeah, it's a great place to be able to live. But why there's a million schools in Florida, why should I go to yours and the people is the way to to kind of differentiate that. I imagine when you're going through this process, and you're figuring out, all right, what do I want my future to look like? Where's, where's my next step in my career? And hearing that financial commitment, how important was that to you hearing all those things that you just described with, you know, new indoor, being able to build your own, your own stadium and all these different things, commitments to the program financially? How big of of a selling point was that for you in deciding to come to USF? Yeah, it, it was
2: absolutely huge, you know, but again, I go back to the reasons I took the job and the number one reason was the people um, in alignment, you know, like for whatever reason, I've been really fortunate to be on the front end of a bunch of different jobs at different levels. Um came into Toledo when, as part of a staff, when they were coming off a three and nine season, came into Illinois coming off of a 500 season with expectations. Then by the grace of a lot of different things, we get to Ames, Iowa, one of the worst programs in the entire country. And they just had a losing season for the first time in seven years. And people are like up in arms. Like, Hey, they had had a hundred of them until we got there, you know, and and what Matt's been able to do there and then go to UCF and see a program in year three, that had been at the top of the conference and, and in New Year's six bowl games. And then we get to Tennessee and Tennessee was coming off a three win year. Uh, We got the job in January amidst an NCA investigation. And you talk about a fan base that was not happy and hasn't been since Lane left town. Um, And so like you, you put all those experiences together and you're like, Holy smokes. Like if I actually do this, um, you know, what do I need? Well, if I learned anything, it's you need alignment. Um, and and that's not just the president and the athletic director. That's the board of trustees. You know, our board of trustees, Will Weatherford, here is is probably the most well-known man in Tampa and is a phone call away at any point in the interview process, sitting down, talking to him and seeing his vision for what this is and knowing that it's not just a vision. He's actually – gotten his vision done at every step of his life and you meet our president who's got a unique background you meet our athletics director who is totally in line and and with the entirety of the program and and you sit here and you listen to these people and and our chairman of our foundation who is heading up building the stadium you know you you talk to all these people and one those people wanted me here Um, and I didn't even know that I wanted this, uh, to, to be honest with you, I was so locked into the season and what we were doing in Knoxville that I didn't at one point think, man, like, what do I, what do I get out of this whole thing? And I was totally content staying in Knoxville, um, and and working for Josh and, and that administration and, and gosh, what he's done is incredible and going through that and learning from him and learning from how you run a football program, top to bottom, And again, using all the previous experiences I've had, knowing that, hey, the alignment has to be right. And then once you know the alignment has to be right, now can we get players? At the end of the day, if the alignment is right and you can get players, you got a shot. And, you know, we talked about, you talked about the stay in the Bay hashtag. You look around the six counties around where we sit, right around Hillsborough County here, like, You can keep some of these guys home. Holy smokes, what can you do? Well, in this day and age, you now add the transfer portal. And I think that's what makes this job, I guess, gives it a a cherry on top because, man, I'm going to fight my tail off to keep these kids home. But if I can't and they choose to go to name a school, well, when they decide, you know what, it actually is really cold in Ames, Iowa or pittsburgh pennsylvania or raleigh north carolina or use an example of everybody that recruits down here well it's really cold or my my mom wants me home or my girlfriend's back wherever i'm sitting right here waiting on you bro come on back (laughs) and uh and so if it wasn't for the transfer portal I would say that this would be tougher than you want to take on at the point where I was where I didn't need to take anything on, nor did I want to take anything on. I, I really was happy as can be. And and so you, you know, as you sat down and and it's interesting because you go through a process like I went through where you took a lot of phone calls in a matter of five days, and you took a lot of meetings in a matter of five days, and you're sitting there trying to figure out what is the difference between all these places? Well, 20 years into this profession, people, location, location, really primarily being, can I recruit players? The beach is nice. The palm trees out here are awesome. The weather's incredible. All that stuff is really, really cool. Are there any players without having to fly across the country again? Like I just told you where I've coached, like, like Ames, Eye was an incredible place to raise your family, but they ain't like a bunch of guys that can run right around Ames. And so, The fact that they're all right here, you know, the NIL initiative was a huge part. Um, If I learned anything in my two years in Knoxville, that better be right and that better be aligned and there better be a plan and there better be a vision and not just a vision, but a vision that's acted upon. Um, And so when you combine all of that, I feel like you got a shot. And if you can hire the right people, again, do you have the resources to hire the right people? You put it all together And to be honest with you in every imaginable way, Connor, I thought this was the best job in this cycle. And, and I don't think it was even close.
0: I want to dig into your roots a little bit. Uh, I don't really get to ask this question very often, but you were born in Moscow. Uh, Do you remember Russia before you moved to New York? Yeah.
2: So I was seven when I left. Um, and I do, um, I remember, remember a lot, um, remember playing sports um a lot of soccer a lot of hockey um i remember remember starting school just like i'm sure everybody else has i remember getting in fights outside the playground and um and then i remember our, my parents sitting us down and saying hey we're going to move to the us and at that point in in it was the soviet union at the time it was just moving over it wasn't pretty. And, um, and my parents just knew, you know, with, with the military commitment and the civil unrest and all of that, uh, what they went through, what my grandparents went through, they're like, man, we need a better life for these kids. And it was me and my brother. And, you know, at that point you don't know anything, uh, other than you, you're on a couple of long flights and you show up in, in New York city and, <laughs> And so, I remember it pretty vividly. Uh, I'm a pretty observant person, and I think I always kind of have been. But I get to a new place and learn, learn a new language. And the one thing I figured out real quick is that that football is the universal language here, and and took a liking to it right away. And um, here we are.
0: Do you, Do you still know how to speak Russian?
2: Yeah. Uh, a little bit easier when both sets of grandparents were alive. Uh, I've got a grandma that's still alive, but but that's where I would practice in my off season long recruiting drives. I would make make my calls and I would still practice. I still get answers from my parents a little bit in Russian at times, um, but but I do. I, I can speak it. It's getting harder and harder, but I can speak it.
0: When did you uh, maybe? When did you fall in love with college football, or what's your first real memory of college football?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, I vividly uh, I can tell you when we lived in, in Brooklyn, we didn't have cable. You didn't have a whole lot growing up, but didn't have cable. And I just remember like I remember it like it was yesterday watching Ohio State, Michigan. You know, you had you had ABC, NBC, CBS. And I remember watching Ohio State, Michigan. And I remember watching Tennessee and Florida. You know, this was this was the late 90s. And um, and those are what I remember. I remember the the first time being in the horseshoe and thinking like, whoa, like this is what I remember watching. Um, and here I am standing here in the middle of the field, you know, and um, and then to be honest with you, a little bit nostalgic and and I'm a football junkie and and I get nostalgic at times. I try to take time to reflect a little bit. Um, but I remember walking into Nealon and. Um, the first time and thinking like, man, like, I remember the intro on CBS of, you know, the, the, the river and the checkerboard end zones. And I remember watching Peyton Manning and T Martin and like, like, this is crazy. I'm calling plays in this game that I remember watching. And, and uh, you know, like this, this season having Florida at home and just sitting here thinking like, man, Oh man, like what a dream. Like, like you're in the middle of it and you hadn't slept in three months, so it's not really a dream. You know what's going on, but like, what? Um, I don't know. Um, again, a little bit nostalgic, maybe, but, but, I think in this day and age of college football, where maybe that part ain't super important anymore. Man, to me, I, I just sitting in the box every now and again, I'd look over to, to Joey, who's the offensive coordinator there now, Tennessee, and Hoodie, who's my old line coach here, I'd be like, man, like. Can you believe this shit, man, this is pretty cool, you know. Um, and, um, and so I still take a second to soak it all in and and really reflect on that. And those are those are the games I vividly remember.
0: I love it when I see a coach that truly starts from hey, we're starting at the very bottom. You you're not just getting some job in the NFL where like all right, you know, like your dad is this, your friend is this, your uncle is this like no, no, no. You started off defensive line coach at a brand new high school in Ohio. And you also got to work then after that as a student assistant at Ohio state, where you went to school. Um, be honest. How much did you pester Jim Trestle to say like, Hey, give me, give me whatever you got. I'll do whatever, (laughs) like Rudy and, you know, at Notre Dame or something like that. I'll I'll clean toilets for free. Like you, you seem like you were probably that guy early on.
2: Yeah. So yeah, you said my dad, maybe my dad was driving a box truck and then working at little Caesar. So he didn't help me get, get any job in that regard, but he did teach me how to work. And he did teach me that I got to go get everything that, that I'll earn everything I go work for. Um, so yeah, I started coaching. My high school offensive coordinator hired me at Westerville Central. He became the head coach there. He's now my player, uh, director of player development here. Uh, but that's the guy that got me into coaching. And and you know what? It wasn't even a phone call to Jim Trestle, but it is it's it's a credit to Jim Trestle uh, for starting a program where young guys like me could get their starting coaching. And I think maybe to him at that point, it was a free help deal. Um, but but um, Mark D'Antonio, who had recruited one of my teammates um, in high school, um, got, met Mark hit him up. He was leaving at the point at that point to go to Cincinnati and pass my name on to Bob Tucker, who was the DFO at the time and and has since passed and literally started working for Jim Haycock and Jim kind of took me under his wing. And he's one of the really, really special men in this game. I got to work with his brother, John at Iowa State. And, and Tress always kind of took a liking to me too, for whatever reason, probably because I was the first one in the last one out. I probably didn't do a great job of going to class, but I figured it out. And all I wanted to do was just work and uh, learn so much at that time. And you, you fast forwarded almost 20 years here. And I got a phone call from Coach Tress when I took this job. And he said, man, I'm actually in whatever it was, six weeks moving down there, you know, like retiring. I'm done. And said, "You mind if I come hang out at practice every now and again?" I'm like, "Holy smokes!" Like, <laughs> That's man, cool. no, I don't mind at all. You come up, hang out, and and him and Coach D'Antonio and Jim Bowman living in the same neighborhood just south of here now. And um, man, I it, it, you talk about full circle, and and how how grateful I am for his opportunity. And and then he helped me. I remember sitting there two years later with him when I graduated and I really wanted to stay there in GA and, and keep learning and keep growing. He, and he said, the best thing you can do is leave. And um, like, man, like, no, I'm at Ohio state. This is where I want to be. So you got to go learn something else and see it done a different way and help me get a job at Northern Illinois uh, working for Joe Novak, who's uh, another Cleveland guy and had taken that program from the depths of the Mac to competing for championships every year. And, and got my start there and got it rolling, but but owe a lot to Coach Tress for even just starting the program and letting me be a fly on the wall with him. And for whatever reason, at that point, took a liking to me. And I learned a lot at that point. To you never know what young guys are where, and and treat young guys like gold because he did. He treated the young coaches like he treated the full time guys. And and if I had any opportunity to make an impact like that, I treat our young guys that same way.
0: You end up being kind of this like jack of all trades guy, and you know your personality really is conducive to it. Where you know, I and I, you end up finding kind of a lane where you're you're doing tight ends coaching, and you know you're the recruiting game coordinator, and you're doing different things, but you pretty much know your way around the offensive side of the ball. You also get to claim Brock Purdy to a certain extent. I'm being the recruiting coordinator who gets Brock Purdy to Iowa State. We're looking back on that a few weeks ago. And we're like, oh my god, that is that's significant because it seemed like nobody, what do you have like five power five offers? What's a, what's a story from maybe getting to recruit him or just kind of see him come to Ames.
2: Yeah. Super, super interesting. Um, You know, Brock. um, So the guy that coached him is, is our past game coordinator here, Joel Gordon. So we, we joke about Brock all the time. Um, That recruiting of Brock was really interesting because we had a, a young man committed in that class already and we kind of thought all along, man, we may need another one. We may need another one. And here was a kid in Brock who had Boise State going into December. Uh, that was his only offer, was Boise. And um, and he's in in Gilbert, Arizona, Perry High School. Um, uh, at that time, a really, really good high school program, but not one of the major players in in Phoenix. And and that was right at the start of all these quarterbacks coming out of the the valley there. And Um, and we couldn't go off for Brock and go recruit him because we had to sign the other young man on early signing period. So as soon as we signed that other one, we went after Brock, and luckily for Brock, he made a run all the way through the playoffs to the state championship game. He really couldn't take any visits in December. And so his recruiting, it was like everybody else was in that same boat. It went from Boise State to us, UCF, ironically enough, um alabama texas a&m and now you look back on brock you know why but as methodical as he was at iowa state he took all his visits he literally considered every single school and he chose iowa state again because of the people uh, it was not the prettiest place out of all those places that he went to it it's the least one that looks like like gilbert arizona but he wanted to be around the right people. He's a young man that comes from an incredible family and mom and dad actually helped him decide what to do. And they were looking for the same things. They were looking for the right people. And um, man, like he's got an incredible family, incredible sister, incredible dad, incredible mom. Uh, he's got a little brother that's playing at Nebraska now and just a sports family that was looking for the right fit for him. And he came in and, the fourth game of his career in Stillwater, Oklahoma, we put him in the second drive and he never looked back. And man, that was one, that was more strategic than anything. And I give Matt Campbell a lot of credit because as as a young assistant coach, you're like, well, I got to go get that one and that one and that one. And Matt's like, listen, like we got to really play this because we got to get both these guys. So we played both of them and, and it worked out that Brock played us and, uh, and got himself. But like, you look at the story, right? Like, nobody recruited him until the very end he was mystery relevant just the same guy um, been the same guy since high school just continue to get better not not never worried about where he is on a depth chart just worked and worked and worked brock i look up to brock i admire brock because we always talk about making the important things the important things brock since we knew him as a junior in high school he's always made the important things the important things
0: When you get to Tennessee, very unique situation. Obviously, you talked about the sanctions and also the way that the quarterback situation played out. You know, Hooker is this guy who was recruited by the previous staff, which people kind of forget about. And then Milton was, you know, on campus and then he ends up joining, you know, in the the spring. But, you know, doesn't doesn't do like spring practice or anything like that with you guys. And you see the talent that Milton has and it's undeniable. And then you see the makeup, the physical makeup and the mental makeup, probably even more so with Hendon, what was it like to try and figure out who your starting quarterback was going to be?
2: Yeah. Like you said, Hendo was there through spring practice. Hendo was already there when we got there. Um, Made two phone calls on Hendon right when we got there to people that had, he had coached or that had coached him. And the feedback was all the same, like really, really smart. Young guy um, has played a ton of football just has never clicked. And to us, it was like, it's us as coaches. That's our job to make it click for him. Um, Cause athletically and arm talent, it's there. Then you meet Hendo and you're like, wow, like this is an, inc- like, I don't want to compare him as men, but very similar to Brock makes the important things, the important things loves football, loves his teammates, incredible leader. High, high-end intelligent. Like, it's the same traits you would ever – the same traits you would look for in a friend. It's the same traits you would look for in a quarterback. And so – but when we got there, he was coming off of a Virginia Tech transfer where it didn't end well. A young man that had been benched, you know, direct quote probably five times on and off at Virginia Tech – and here we are sitting here coming off of one of the top offenses in the country. And we're like, we can go get a quarterback to match what we need, which is a guy that can throw the ball and is really athletic. Also really smart. Well, here's Joe Milton sitting here at Michigan. Similar situation. Earned the starting job, got hurt, and he's available. And we're like, man, if we can get both these guys, we got a shot. Well, Joe Milton, and I can say this because I've said it to Joe, and I'll say it to Joe on the phone anytime they will call – like Joe Milton at that point was the best practice quarterback any of us had ever seen. Um, in a red jersey with nobody can touch you, the prettiest deep ball I have ever seen, like ever. And I've been around some NFL quarterbacks. I've never seen anything like this. None of us ever had. And we had a pretty good one as our head coach that could throw one a pretty good mile too in in hype and And, I mean, you saw him, you saw Joe throw the ball and you saw Hype's eyes light up and Hype's not one to give a a ton of people, especially quarterbacks, credit. And it was like, whoa, well, what you can't tell in practice is the other stuff the the ability to make throws, you know, under fire, the ability to make decisions in the heat of the moment, which is what playing quarterback is, is decision making and and taking care of the football and. Joe, on three months, we made a decision as a staff that Joe was the guy. It wasn't that Hendon wasn't the guy. We felt like Joe gave us at that point the best opportunity to win. And to Hendon's uh, credit, Hendon just worked and worked and worked exactly as if he was the guy or wasn't the guy. And Joe got hurt in the second game, halfway through our second game, which was Pitt at home. Hendon came in and there was a couple of, oh, wow, moments with Hendo where he stood in the pocket and made a couple of throws. There was a there was a pop pass um, going into the closed end. And and he threw a touchdown with somebody um, with a plug blitz going right into his face, stood in there, delivered it. And I remember looking at Joey sitting next to me in the box. I'm like, man, that that's our guy right there. Holy smokes. And again, to Joe's credit, Joe came back and, and as we just kind of started to roll with Hendo, Joe came back and had a decision to make, like, am I going to be disruptive to the team? Am I going to be, be what what 90% of society would tell you, man, you got screwed? Or am I going to sit here and learn and grow and wait for my opportunity? And I give Joe more credit probably than, than, than I would ever give Hendon. the same credit I gave to Hendo for just sitting there and working give to Joe um, because Joe just sat there and kept working and getting better and working and getting better and the outside noise would tell you man like you're getting screwed and he shut the outside noise down and that doesn't mean he didn't have bad days because he certainly did but I give him so much credit with how much he grew and you saw it this year, you know, when when we would be up on teams, we'd go with Joe at quarterback and we called the game the exact same way because Joe earned the right to play it like normal. And people thought, man, you guys are going to continue to put points up on Mizzou and and Tennessee Martin and these teams. We didn't like that wasn't the intent. It was the the intent was to let Joe go play. And then you saw him in the Vanderbilt game and, and then certainly the Orange Bowl how much better he's gotten and learned from Hendo and both those guys, what they taught each other, they became best friends. They became roommates. They became inseparable. Like like you talk about college football at, at its purest, like for Joe to stay, Joe graduated from Michigan in three and a half years and could have left at any point for Joe to stay and for Hendon and him to have the relationship. They did huge credit to hype too, for managing that situation and yeah. creating a culture there. I don't know if hype gets enough credit like 99 out of hundred quarterbacks would have left if they were Joe Milton. And for, for the culture, that hype is built in Knoxville. Um, that's why guys don't leave in this era of transfer portal, where it's really, really easy to leave the culture hype built there. And, and the realization that team is more important than me. I, I give coach hype a lot of credit for what he's been able to do and, and, him managing those two guys. Cause it ain't the easiest and him and Joey Halsey did a phenomenal job with those two.
0: I got a two part for you um, before we get some rapid fire here on, uh, on Joe Milton, um, the rumor, or at least what Jalen Hyatt said on these very airwaves, 80 to 90 yards. That's how far he can sling it. Have you seen further? And then on top of that, if he's able to rein it in and we see the guy that we saw in the orange bowl, what's his potential?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He can throw it really far. I've never measured it. The fact that Jalen had the time to go out there and measure his throws. Um, God bless Jalen Hyde for having <laughs> the time to go measure. I could see Jalen though going out there and having him standing there at the other end and, and watching it land. That would be a very Jay Hyatt thing to do. But he can he can sling it. Uh you know, for him it was understanding uh understanding the entirety of the system to be able to put that ball out there on time and not feeling like he's got to get it to where it's got to go uh, by overthrowing it or underthrowing it. I think learning himself and understanding how big and physical he actually is, I think he never lacked for toughness. He lacked for understanding of the entirety of who he is more so than anything else. I think that's what why we call it development of players. Like it took him time to learn who he is and it took him screwing it up and getting it right. It took him getting it right and repeating that behavior to create a sustainable behavior that within a game, he knows how to function. Now it's just called growth. You know, it's no different than us as people growing. It's him as a player growing him as a person growing. Um, But I think his potential and, and not even potential. That's probably not fair. His, the reality of who he is, is he's an elite level quarterback. Now he wasn't a year and a half ago, but he is now because he's learned his deficiencies. He's learned his strengths. He's learned how to play within the system and he's learned how to play within himself. I think he now understands that The quarterback's job is to operate within the system, take care of the football and make the others around you better. I think two years ago, and he would probably tell you the same thing is he thought he had to go win the game and he doesn't, he's got to go manage the game, take care of the football. You look at Hendon, Hendon had freakish numbers, but Hendon threw three picks in two years and we threw the ball a fair amount. He took care of the football and taking care of the football will win you games. And I know it sounds really elementary, but Hendon figured that out. Joe, in in the time he had throughout the year, the Vanderbilt game, you know, he gets a lot of credit for for the Orange Bowl because a lot of people watched it. But the start before that in that Vanderbilt game, talk about being nervous for a game. They were coming off of back-to-back wins for the first time in, in a long time, beating Florida and Kentucky. And it was going to be a torrential downpour. And you were going to play at Vanderbilt, which is is not not probably a top ten stadium in the country in terms of environments, and it's not a knock on Vandy, but it is. It's a game
0: Tennessee's got to win every year. That's I, reality.
2: And the reality is we were five and five against them in the previous ten years. And Joe, in the torrential downpour, took coming off of a really tough loss at South Carolina. Joe took care of the football. We we rushed the ball against rental downpour. We rushed the ball for 400 and so many yards. I think he only threw it for about 180, but it was complete control, like almost a perfect game, no turnovers, um, took care of the ball. And it was that game that after that game, you're like, Joe got it figured out. Like, this is it. It's his time. It's his team. And to be honest with you, as much as for Joe, for the rest of the the guys in that in that locker room to know he's their leader.
0: That is huge. That And you can kind of see shades of that, even though you're right, the numbers are down. But, you know, you see that thing click and then all of a sudden, you know, guys figure it out at, at different times. And if that's the case for Joe Milton, that would be absolutely awesome to be able to watch. Um, all right. I want to get you out of here with a little bit of rapid fire. This has been great. Just five questions. First thing that comes to mind, does that work for you? You got it. All right. First one. I am originally from the suburbs of Chicago. You have spent a little bit of time in the, in the state of Illinois. You were fired up to experience Portillo's in Tampa. What is your go-to order?
2: Man, this is easy. Uh, non-traditional Portillo's order, but it is frame, uh, flame boi- uh, broiled. Burger, cheese, ketchup only, large cheese fry. Cheese fry is what makes it for me. And then it depends how I'm feeling. If I'm like in a really, really tough spot, mentally and emotionally then it's the brownie shake
0: the the cake shake the cake shake is it is an experience unlike any other and when i explain to people yeah they just shove an entire piece of cake into a milkshake and you drink it and it's unbelievable it's the most it's
2: life-changing in a lot of ways um some people haven't experienced it but what is cool down here literally portillo's is less than a mile away and you can get a DoorDash or I got my, my special assistant here. I'll go pick it up. And it is life changing. Um, it's, it's like getting married, having your kids, and then that the cake shake in that order in terms of life experiences for
0: me. You're the first person who's ever come on this podcast and been a bigger Portillo's fan than I have. So that's incredible. Um, second one for you. True or false. When you get your hair and beard done, you just tell your stylist, give me the Sean McVay cut.
2: uh, yeah no um you know no um i do i respect what sean McVay has done but i've had that comparison several times man like that's not a bad comparison he's done well for himself but uh but no i mean just i gotta keep it keep it tight i'm starting to get some gray which uh i'm not a self-conscious person but that's really really starting to bother because i've always looked at myself as the young guy and now I'm like getting some gray and and it's just exponentially coming in here now since since December 4th. And so I try to keep it clean, uh, try to keep it lined up, uh, has nothing to do with Sean McVay, although I do
0: respect his game and his look. You have the cleanest haircut, I think, of any FBS head coach. I, I think that's pretty safe to, to say like you're if if it's not, you're definitely in like the top three, top five, I would say we can. We could. Well, I'll. I'll give you that. That title unofficially, and we'll all have to circle back and come up with future rankings for that. Um, okay. 13, thirteen personnel or five wide. <laughs> Man,
2: whatever helps us score seven points the fastest. I. Oh, okay. I've, I've coached tight ends. I have played in thirteen, um, and that was fun as the tight end coach, but it took forever to score. Um, if it takes five wide to score faster, but
0: hopefully some combination thereof. Best defensive player that you've ever had a game plan against was who? Oh, man.
2: That's really, really, really a good question. 88, mm. Georgia, McNeil, two years in a row. Jalen Carter? Oh, I'm sorry, McNeil. Jalen Carter, 88 at Georgia. That's a good answer. Also,
0: a popka shout out a popka. Um, yeah. last Jennifer, one, for you. okay, so you might have just done this, you might have just answered this question. Last one for you, just say one nice thing about Orlando Disney World. That is nice. Okay, all
2: right, yeah, I love Disney World. Fair enough.
0: That won't be part of the hour our and 15 minute drive from Disney World. You could just tell recruits or recruits' parents and stuff like that as well. That's part of the cell
2: yeah absolutely no disney world's awesome and it is it's only an hour and 15 minutes and and um it's it's the fastest way you can drop 10 grand and so if you got <laughs> it if you got it spend it
0: Love it, alex this has been great really appreciate the time best of luck with everything you got going on this year thanks connor appreciate you man
2: what's my destiny mom
0: you're
1: gonna have to figure that out for yourself life is a box of chocolates fullest. You never know what you're going
0: to get. Figuring out, we're talking self-care. Self-care can be a lot of different things. I I had to kind of check myself on the definition of self-care because I think people interpret it differently. Um, I know I think of it as anything that helps me get my mind right. And there's a little bit of an association that, oh, you know, it's pampering. And it doesn't have to just be pampering. It's what you need to do to get your mind right to, you know, sometimes that's doing something physical and doing something physical can help how you are mentally over the course of a day. I know for me, exercise, big part of that, love mm-hmm. being able to go on, go on runs. Love being able to get a workout in. That's kind of my time to be able to step away from the office in a given day and make sure that I'm, I'm doing something where I allow my mind to focus on that specific thing. Even just like what I listen to, I've now transitioned into the country music phase of my workouts, where, I'm no mm-hmm. longer just locked into podcasts. I'm listening to country <laughs> music. I know, I know. I've a changed. great compromise really. Yeah. I know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think self-care can be a lot of different things and, I'll say this, look, I like pedicures. I'm a once a year pedicure guy. And people are going to say, people are going to hear that and think, oh my God, Connor, that's how could you man card, fork it over. Don't knock until you try it for one, a pedicure for all the damage we do to our feet. It gets a bad rap. It really does. Like you go in there. I went in on, on Sunday and got my, my once a year pedicure. And when in there, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll massage your feet. They'll get all the dead skin off your feet. Everybody has gross feet. Our feet are naturally disgusting and especially training for, for this race that I'm running. I was like, you know, what would be, what would be really nice is to kind of get my feet right, relax, put the phone away for a half hour, just kind of sit there in that zone. It's not really a whole lot different than going to a barber shop and getting a shave. But because it's your feet and because it's a place where usually you're surrounded by women, there's this association that it's like not masculine to do it. And I'm going to get some people that are going to think, oh, Connor, you're a loser. You're a girly man, whatever. That's fine. I'm perfectly comfortable with who I am. And just being able to say there's nothing wrong with going out and getting a pedicure, just getting getting a little bit of self-care that way. Have you ever done that? Um, yes, I'm not quite a once a year. I'm more of like a, my thing like that is uh, couple's
1: massages. And guys remember Mm. when keeping your, you know, significant other happy, you got to open up the full playbook, right? I mean, you're listening to two guys here who have been allowed by our significant others to watch an egregious amount of college football. I mean, the so amount of much. college football that most guys dream of. And so to get there, that's already been put on the CBA bargaining table. You got to get creative. <laughs> you got to put in the couple's massage. You got to do the, the couple's pedicure, you know? So don't limit yourself by you're limiting you're limiting your possibilities by limiting your, your, your kind of masculinity, because yeah, I'm in the same boat. You know, that that's my, my Valentine's day for um my Valentine's day present for Brittany is a couple's massage with some like CBD oil. We're going to like do it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, two hour massage. It's going to be awesome. But yeah, like, you know, if you, if you limit yourself, you limit your possibilities, what you can put on the table. That's all I'm saying.
0: Agreed. hundred percent. Do what you got to do. And and sometimes self-care is as self-care can be done in a relationship and you know, like, mm-hmm. Orin and I will do a little bit of yoga every once in a while. Self-care with that. If self-care is meditation, if it's, you know, if it's prayer, whatever it is going into that, that mental headspace to kind of get right. By all means. Um, So let's open this up to the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. We've got a few responses here. Let's start with this one from our guy, Drew Page. Drew says, my best forms of self-care are playing some video games or listening to music, uh, metalcore or folk music and podcasts. Uh, Last podcast on the left, SDS, never seen it, et cetera. Uh, It all helps me if he had listed podcasts and not listed ours. That would have been tough. That would have been really tough. Uh, It all helps me uh, just to not think about things for a second, which goes a long way for me. Also, movies are a thing I absolutely love that I count as self-care. Yeah, the, um, the ability to take your mind off of everything else is one of those things you never think about when you're young, ever. And you can think you might have stress in your life when you're in high school or something like that. But when you're an adult and problems are a little bit more real, the need to get away from that for a little bit in a healthy, responsible way is sometimes a great form of therapy. Uh, OG listeners of this podcast will know your boy was in bell choir back in the day. And I don't know why I like bell choir because if I didn't focus on attempting to read music, which, you know, I put in air quotes, can't really do it. You know, I can't really do it very well, but if I focused on anything other than my bells, and rocking to the beat of the music, I was going to be in trouble. If I'm thinking about, all right, what's what's Mizzou's QB depth chart look like? They're they going to make a change here? No, I'm missing my note. I'm in trouble. Person to my right is going to be like, you threw me off. And we can't have that. So you know what? It was a good thing to be able to do something like that. That was my my way of being able to get some self-care. Just taking your mind off of whatever is bothering you over the course of the day.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think... Uh, one of the best self care movies I've I've seen was Drew Page. After we did our whole like blowout sports weekend for my birthday, him and John went to the uh, the Museum of Death in uh in New Orleans, and like all of us were like still passed out. And he was like, you know, I really it's just like a fascinating thing about like serial killers and stuff. And he like woke up early, went down there. He's like, this is my thing. I like horror movies. This is super cool. And I was like, you know what? That's good for you, man. Prioritize you because we've been doing degenerate stuff with my my group this whole weekend.
0: Hobbies is a great little uh, gateway into self care that's that's why you have hobbies, right? right. The, the entire reason that you have something that you're interested in is so that you can take your take your mind off of whatever's going on. Emery says, last summer I started playing disc golf and found a great group of people um out on Tybee that play Tybee. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Tybee. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. that play Tabby. on hobby. hobby. <laughs>
1: <Tabby, Tabby.
0: laughs> they play on the local course a few times a week. I quickly fell in love with it. And even a bad round, I'm walking around a park on. Tybee, now I'm going to stop every time I say that, uh, that has tons of turtles and it's right next to the lighthouse. My best advice is to find something that when you're doing whatever it is, you don't think about anything else and can ignore the world for a while. Disc golf during the pandemic was huge. People like I, I, I don't know the numbers of how many more people became major fans of disc golf, but. I got to imagine their popularity really rose because you get to be, do something physical and get outside, get outside. A lot of times you're going to a park or something like that. And it's, you're just out in nature and the ability to just turn everything else off in a setting like that is it's, it's just right there. And it's competitive too. And sometimes being competitive while it might add stress within that moment is still a form of self-care. I used to play softball for, self-care like like being able to get away and it was something i could get, look forward to over the course of the day a lot of people get really competitive with this golf i've realized
1: yeah for me that's like a pretty good segue to two of my favorite things in the world um you know we talked about music we talked about um uh like video game that's another thing but for me I'm, I love competition. You know me. I could compete with anybody. I'm, I'm not as unhealthy as MJ in that way, but anything I do, I want to be the best at. And one of my favorites is uh, photography. And if you want to, you know, do your thing, whatever that may be, and then, you know, put some uh, earbuds in, get your camera, and it could be a cell phone camera, guys, but if you want to just be alone, don't bring anybody, go to whatever wilderness is near you, walk around with your phone, walk around with the camera, and just take some dope pictures and totally just disassociate, play some music through your headphones. It's awesome. And then we talked about it, like working out and like, you've had the workout where some Something's on your mind, or you're thinking about work, or you're doing something, and you just kind of waddle around the gym on your phone. It's like the worst feeling in the world. So, yeah, disconnecting, I think, is massive. Can you
0: have a form of self care that's on your phone? If if it's like listening to music, or better question, better question. Can you have a form of self care that's social media? Is it possible? People are like that with TikTok and that's why TikTok is so huge is that they'll
1: just disassociate and scroll. And But if you've ever heard someone else's TikTok feed that you're not watching, it's so chaotic because it's just like, ah, shh, and they all like every sound is different. So I don't day, feel that way, but some people do. Yeah.
0: Every day with Lauren, I'm like hearing her TikTok feed. I'm like, or when, and when she watches a video like four times over and I can't yep. see what's going on, I'm like.
1: You start to quote it, and I always just look at Brittany,
0: and I'm just like, like saying the video. <laughs> Please give yeah. this. I don't, I don't need this at this point. You, you, have seen enough. You're good, right? Like you can go yeah. on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, that that that's something that I always wonder about, and I think disconnecting is is very important to to achieve the levels of self care that that you should aspire to. Grant Haney says the best forms of self-care that I apply to daily life is to get away from everything in the great outdoors, whether it's Mm -hmm. a meaningless round of golf or tossing the bumper into the pond for our Labrador to retrieve something about the ambience and innocence of nature to provide a necessary reset. Also running is always an an economically feasible means of residential self-care during a hectic work week. Yeah. I love running. I do. Uh, like the way that it makes me feel I don't get runners high, but I think there's, there's some sort of a, a middle ground between hating the last moments of a run and being able to just get outside and do something and understand what it does for you. The endorphins people like to talk about all the time. I don't even know so much that it's that, but I like the fact that I can just lock into my own zone and and move to a place mm-hmm. and feel like I'm actually doing something. Like today's a perfect example. I don't think I'm going to be able to have time to get a workout in today. I've got a million things going on preparing for a weekend and it will bother me tonight when I sit down and think, "Ah, crap, I wasn't able to get a workout in today." That yep. sucks. And I like I'm like I would I would have loved to have been able to get outside to do something and even if it's something like a hike or, you know, whatever it is, I would have loved to have been able to experience that and I think that's extremely important. I like that advice. Yes. Very cost effective. The jog is free.
1: Yeah, hundred percent on the same page. Same, same kind of process. Throw on some earbuds. There's a, uh, you're gonna hate this. There's, I used to run early in the morning whenever COVID started. And there's like this uh, cemetery by my house, and there was like there were a couple mornings where it was really foggy. Put on like some voodoo by Godsmack. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that song. It's like, this really creepy, like somber song. And I was just like running. I was like, I'm gonna pretend I'm just out here fighting ghosts. I'm pretend I'm a ghostbuster. I got this. Da da I just remember starting my day like nothing can be worse than that. Boys, let's do it. And so like sometimes like so I like to create a little universe in my run. You know, I like to be thinking about. I'll put on like a long like a Prince song or something and just like go. You
0: know, that's being and telling yourself that you're just in a totally different world that's mm-hmm. hard to do it's really really hard to do i struggle with that constantly i can't even get i feel like i can't even get self care when i when i sleep at a reasonable hour a lot of the time if i go to bed too early and if i'm not tired yet and if i think i'm doing my body a favor i can't escape into that that like that world i'm still locked in on what's happened throughout the course of the day and i i'll be tossing and turning for i don't know like a half hour at least before I can actually get to sleep. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking that I'm doing myself a favor. And really I'm not because something like that though, that you're actually outside and you have like, all right, this is what I'm doing in this moment. I can't focus on anything else. I think that's the the better way to go about it. I wish I could sleep more. I really do. Shout out,
1: shout out to Michael Dark for again, hilarious picture of him with this donkey with the cast, the classic uh, quote, nothing rejuvenates me more than the McChicken, the best fat food sandwich, which, for me, it's the McChicken, the best form of self Care. You know, that's a real deep cut. We love to see that type of inside joke in the podcast. This picture is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. I like almost lost it and muted myself when I first saw it. So good meme, Michael Dark, ten ten. The, the donkey that's just chilling in the background <laughs> of this picture.
0: <laughs> it's Do- like, who- how could the donkey make his appearance in this? I love it so much. I wonder how many how many, how many, many uh, selfies he had to take to get the right one of a donkey just looking at you in the background donkey great form of self-care
1: pets oh, donkeys, pets. oh yes playing fetch with a dog somebody mentioned that or just having the cat sit on your chest if you've never had a cat sit on your chest and it's just like a little engine that's just warm and purring and you're like this cat depends on me for life i love this cat it's yes. one of the greatest feelings but it again is. that's the difference between a dog and a cat if you want to get outside throw a ball you know play some fetch, fetch is rad too not picking favorites
0: that's yes, very true. Love that. Love that. And when I get to my, my in-laws place and, and I'm working throughout the course of the day, you know, at their house in Indianapolis and I'll get outside and I, I play fetch with a dog, Harry with the, the chuck it dog owners know what I'm talking about. The chuck it is oh, yeah. a revolutionary tool. It, it changed the game for fetch. It, it takes my mind off of things. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take my, my five, 10 minute break, get outside. It's like 30 degrees out there in Indy because that's the way that it works usually. <laughs> I'm going to play outside with with the dog and just going to focus on on him and giving him some good tosses. Yes, pets are great forms of self-care. Um, do we leave anything out? Do we leave anything out? I feel like we left out a big one that I wanted to get to. Um, I wish I did. I wish I did like I had a better self-care routine, but I I more am, am doing it out of necessity and I need to be better about that. How about you?
1: Oh, if you guys uh, don't go to therapy, just go to therapy um even if find, yeah. find a good therapist because a lot of people like have uh, horror stories my first therapist was in birmingham alabama and thought i was like the worst person in the world because i was like smoking weed in high school sometimes like sometimes ter- therapists are not good at their jobs shocker just like everybody else just like dan wolkin just like some people in my industry they're bad people in every industry all right so don't think that you because your therapist was bad but go to therapy and the other thing is if you struggle with adhd or depression slash anxiety there is medicine out there, you know what I'm saying? Yep. I got on ADHD medicine and you've seen a, a noticeable sharpness in my, my podcasting lately. I've slowed down, I've been a lot more focused. So it does help. You know, it's not like a, a coward's way out. So that's one thing. Just keeping keeping eyes on your mental man. But yeah, that's about it for me.
0: Love it. Hell and self-care. Self-care. That's the, the message for today. Inside of you, there are two rules. Um, yes. College being
1: and college football, hell, and self care.
0: Yes, one or the other. If you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at SatDownSouth. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter. You can go do that at bluechipgrit.com. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name right on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.